to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Father, we pray that you would open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Roger said, uh, the church here has been going through Luke's Gospel for a while and comes now to the very end of Luke's Gospel and with some of the events which took place around uh, the resurrection of Jesus, which of course we celebrated uh, last Sunday on Easter Day. And what a great opportunity to uh, open up this particular part of Scripture uh, on the occasion of a baptism. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, in the Ascension, uh, Jesus gives the command to go and baptise uh, people as disciples of Jesus and to baptise people from all nations. And uh, that is uh, connected very much with what we've been doing today uh, with regard to, uh, to young Benjamin James. The first part of chapter 24 describes the women going to uh, the tomb to find an empty tomb. And then this part particularly, if you've got your Bibles there on verse 13, on the same day, uh, two of them, being two of the disciples, not part of the 12 disciples, but those who are added in that sort of wider band of people, uh, on the same day, they set off to go to Emmaus. Now Emmaus is about 10 kilometres or more, away from Jerusalem, and it does make you a little bit puzzled, doesn't it? Why would you leave Jerusalem? Uh, have you got a pressing appointment in Emmaus? Did you have to go off and do that? They're clearly puzzled. They've just heard this extraordinary news uh, in the previous part. They've obviously heard the news. If they weren't there when the women came back and told the 11 disciples, then they, in the wider band of people, had found out that the tomb is empty, that the tomb is empty, that an angel had appeared and told the women that he'd risen. At this stage, although we know from John's Gospel, Mary Magdalene actually does see Jesus, obviously just not quite at this time, no one's seen Jesus, all we've got is an empty tomb. And so these two disciples, Cleopas and his either his wife or his friend, uh, start walking on the way to Emmaus. And Luke describes their conversation. Uh, in the original language, it's, like, it's more of a, a heated conversation. It's almost like a debate. What's going on? As they talked about or everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed or debated these things, suddenly Jesus comes along and joins them. And Luke makes the point that Jesus uh, was... Uh, not known to them in as much as they were prevented from recognising who Jesus was. Perhaps they weren't stopping to look at him, perhaps they were just walking along the side. And then Jesus comes up and says, uh, what, are you, what are you discussing together as you walk, um, uh, walk along? And they stand still, faces downcast, and they say, uh, are you the only person living uh, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? Uh, there's a great irony about that, isn't it? Are you the only, the only person living 
because they thought Jesus was still dead. Uh, they hadn't quite put an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. Are you the only one who doesn't know? And the other irony, of course, is Jesus is the only one in the know. He, he's the only one who really does know what's happening. These two disciples are clearly uh, confused, bewildered, and haven't really got a clue. And so he says, don't you know what these things are happening? And then Jesus innocently says, uh, uh, what things? Uh, it's amazing how often in the Bible God asks questions of people. Uh, God is a question asker because he wants to challenge us to say, to think through where we stand, what we think about him, and how we understand the, the situation that we find ourselves in, or in this case, what has happened in Jerusalem with regard to the death of Jesus and now his burial and then an empty tomb. What does it actually mean? Well, then they start to explain. They start to explain uh, who, what the, this is all about, Jesus of Nazareth. They're, they're completely bewildered, haven't really understood that Jesus is standing alongside, or at this stage now, perhaps they're walking further on their way to Emmaus, and they start seeing, talking about how he was put to death by the rulers, how he was crucified, but he was a prophet. He was mighty in word and in deed. No doubt these disciples on the edge, perhaps they were made one of the uh, the 70 disciples that went out, that Jesus sent out, beyond the 12, we don't know. But clearly they knew a lot about Jesus and they could describe his activity as it took place in his earthly ministry. He was powerful in word and powerful in deed. Uh, we long for politicians who'd be powerful in word and deed, wouldn't we? Uh, even just powerful in word would be good enough. Uh, powerful, you know, but uh, powerful indeed, that'd be a real extra, wouldn't it, you know, to, to have that. We've got lots of people who've, who've got lots of words and very few deeds, or perhaps the deeds are not that honourable uh, enough in terms of their leadership. But Jesus was characterised by having powerful words. Uh, we, you know, on the Sermon on the Plain in, um, in Luke's Gospel, blessed are the poor. Uh, memorable words, do unto others as you would have them do unto, unto me. Uh, he was powerful because these words cut to the very heart of persons. It made people rec stand up and listen. It, it, it uh, infiltrated their very being with a resting understanding of who God is and what God is doing in this world. And whenever you read questions in the Bible especially from God, God addressing Moses or Jesus addressing the disciples or asking questions of the crowds, think too about the question being addressed to you. What things? What are you talking about? And so Jesus describes a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and he was our hope. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. We'd, we'd put all our our, our money on him in a sense. We, we put all our hopes on the fact that he was going to be redeemed. He'd spoken about redemption. He'd spoken about angels. He'd spoken about God's word. He'd spoken in such powerful ways and we were captivated by him. And now he's dead. And now we don't know what's next. So much so that their disbelief that Jesus could actually rise from the dead is they've gone off to Emmaus. 
They haven't bothered staying in Jerusalem to investigate, to even perhaps look at the tomb themselves, to check. Whatever it is, they've, they've uh, moved on. They refer to the fact that angels had actually seen them. Uh, the women had come back and they'd seen a vision of angels and the angels had told them that he's risen. But they're not believing that. It's very interesting, isn't it, how Luke's gospel begins with angels and ends with angels. His birth is announced just like his new birth, his resurrection is announced by angels because this is a cataclysmic, earth-shattering event. Jesus' birth and his resurrection. And so they continue and they say that we don't know what, we don't know what to think. And then Jesus turns and says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. How foolish you are not to believe all that God has said in the scriptures. Not to understand that all this was part of God's plan. It was there. You've only got to read through Isaiah and a number of the Psalms and the prophets to see that God's purposes and plans was not for just a Messiah, a conquering king, but a wounded Messiah, a suffering Messiah, one who actually would bear the sins of his people on a cross. And he would then demonstrate victory over death by rising three days later. It's very interesting, throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to the third day. And you see this too in the testimony. But in each gospel, when the women come to the tomb, each gospel account starts on the first day of the week. As if to say, this is a new beginning. Just as creation began on the first day of the week back in Genesis 1, so here a new creation has taken place. Yes, the third day in terms of Jesus' reckoning from death to resurrection, but in actual fact it was a new day on this first day of the week and therefore Christians have gathered together on the first day of the week. Uh, we're, we're beguiled by our working week to think that Monday is the first day of the week, but it's not so. Sunday is the first day of the week. And because this is a day of resurrection, this is a day of a new beginning that God has done. So Jesus talks to them and expounds the scriptures. You probably can think of lots of people that um, have taught you in your life. Uh, pastors or parents or teachers at school. But can you imagine what it would have been like to actually had this sort of personal one-to-one -one seminar with Jesus? Uh, you're walking for about 10 kilometres, so it's, if, you know, if only they'd realised, as he talks to them, they could have asked so many other questions. They eventually get to Emmaus, and they're obviously enthralled, they still have not seen. They, the meaning has not grasped them. They may have some facts about an empty tomb, but they haven't put it all together. They've got their scriptures from the Old Testament, but they haven't put it together. They haven't understood, they haven't been enlightened to recognise that Jesus is absolutely extraordinary because he's bringing in a whole new world by his resurrection. They invite him to stay at, with, with them. They're going to stay overnight in Emmaus. The, the sun had gone down. And, and interestingly, Jesus takes over and he, he becomes the host. They're, they're lying down and he breaks the bread. And that moment of breaking the bread, their eyes are open. 
whether they saw the nail prints in his hand, whether it was a memory when he broke bread in the feeding of the 5,000 and he blessed God and gave thanks for the bread. Uh, these two wouldn't have been at the Last Supper, so it's not that they would have had a memory of, but the breaking of bread, the fellowship meals that they'd obviously have had with Jesus, then suddenly come to their mind and foof, Jesus vanishes. How extraordinary. How extraordinary to think that Jesus, at the very moment of understanding and appreciation and recognition, he vanishes. And then they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the way, as he unfolded the scriptures about who Jesus of Nazareth really was, God in the flesh. They then seem to forget about their appointments and they hurry back to Jerusalem straight away. They come back and they meet the disciples and they find out more. Peter has now seen the Lord. Uh, they hear, hear more, more information about what has happened. Then they say, we've seen the Lord. And then suddenly we come to this next section, the scene two of this last final part of chapter 24. Scene two where we've got the upper room and the, uh, the disciples are gathering the upper room. This is still presumably that night. And this is the, the, uh, the, the following week from John's Gospel. We know that he meets in, in a week apart. But they're meeting with him and Jesus again appears. He appears with, without, without, um, uh, without invitation. He just, he just suddenly appears among them and says, Peace be with you. Peace in Luke's Gospel is another word for salvation. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men with whom God is pleased, as the angels announced. Uh, peace, go in peace after Jesus has healed someone in Luke's gospel. Peace is an expression of salvation that Jesus is actually coming as the bringer of salvation. Peace be with you. He invites them to touch his hands and look at his side. I'm not a ghost, this is real. I've got flesh and bones. He says, give me something to eat and let me prove to you that this is actually a real, this is not a cadaver, this is not some corpse, this is not a ghost, this is a real, live, resurrected being. Of course, they knew, they'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead beforehand. But Lazarus, for example, or the widow of Nain's son, they were raised only to die again. I always feel sorry for Lazarus and his family. They had to pay for two funerals. <laughs> but that sense in which here, that res resurrection or resuscitation, well and truly dead, but brought back to life in this age. But Jesus is brought back to life never to die again. He's been raised from the dead. He's actually conquered death. And by doing so, brings peace. And so he explains again, just like he explained to Cleopas and his friend, how everything had to happen in accordance with the scriptures. How in actual fact the Messiah had to die before he could enter into his glory. That suffering is actually a part of the pattern that not only Jesus engages in, but that we engage in too. As we baptised Benjamin James this morning, 
He's not going to have a charmed life. He's not going to be free of sickness. He's certainly not going to be free of temptation. His parents won't be, won't, <laughs> won't be free of not, having, not being able to sleep. Uh, all of those things are going to take place because he's been born into a world which is fallen, which is a world of decay and disease and death. But what we did this morning was we baptised him. We demonstrated that his sins have been washed away. Because Matt and Michelle believe the promises of God, that God who promises to save them will save their children. Not for anything that Benjamin's done. You'll notice he didn't say, put his hand up and say, I'd like to be baptised, thank you very much. No, he didn't baptise himself. He was baptised. It was a passive act because he is a recipient of the promises of God. His sins have been forgiven. As few as they may be, but as many as they will become, they're already forgiven because Jesus has died for him. Jesus has been raised to new life. Jesus has brought in the kingdom and made Ben an heir of everlasting life. Ben will grow in a knowledge of that, just like he'll grow in a knowledge of who his parents are, who his family are, and his friends at church. That growth in knowledge will be step by step in a normal maturation process of knowledge. But as he grows in the knowledge of who his earthly father is, so he'll grow in a knowledge of who his heavenly father is. And it won't be said, we trust of him, how foolish you are to have had all this and not to believe. Just as these friends walking on the side, they had all the facts before them, but they did not believe. And that is so true, isn't it? Our whole nation has celebrated Easter. We all got a public holiday. In fact, we got a couple of extra public holidays. Everyone knows about Easter, even if it's only about chocolates and uh, Easter eggs. They know that Easter is there. They've even heard about Jesus the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, if people understand, understood what that meant, then they'd recognise how important it is to put your trust in Jesus. Because only he conquers death. Death is an indictment upon us all. We're not going to escape death. We have to prepare for our death. Even then prepares for his death. But the wonderful thing about being a Christian, the wonderful thing about putting your trust in Jesus is that there is resurrection beyond the grave. There is life beyond death. And Jesus has demonstrated that by rising from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. A victory has been won. That's why he says, peace be with you. That peace can be yours, just as it is for Ben and his parents and his godparents. They know that peace that passes understanding because they put their trust in the Lord Jesus and they know that Jesus has brought not only peace but salvation and everlasting joy. So at the end, when Jesus ascends into heaven, we see the disciples no longer cowering in an upper room, but they're in the temple. And they're in the temple praising God, having returned to Jerusalem with great joy, 
because they want to share with others this great news that Jesus has risen from the dead and has brought salvation to all who put their trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder and your power in raising Jesus from the dead. We thank you that he who was powerful in word and deed fulfilled the promises that were spoken of him in the Old Testament. And Father, we thank you that we can rejoice in a risen Lord Jesus today and pray you'd help us to put our faith in him that we too might know our sins are forgiven and be inheritors of the kingdom of God. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.